Greetings, friends and brethren in the Lord. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly, exceedingly great joy. Last week, I started a study titled Understanding the Meaning of Hanukkah. Now, this is a Jewish festival, but I believe this is a very important festival for us as believers to understand because you'll you'll get it by the time we're done of the spiritual significance of this festival. Now, this is a piece of history. It's not talked about. It's certainly not taught in the church. We don't talk about Hanukkah in the church. We don't teach about this historical time in the uh, time of the Jews. But I believe this is important for us. And you'll see why as we go through. Now, last week I was just sharing with King Antiochus of Syria was doing when he got to Jerusalem. He put a statue of Zeus in God's holy place with his face on it. He sacrificed a pig, sprinkled the blood on God's altar. He poured broth over the Torah scrolls and then burned the Torah scrolls with fire. Um, He forbid the Jews to circumcise their sons, observe Mosaic dietary laws to keep the Sabbath, I mean, he just took this to a whole new level. He made them, required them to daily sacrifice pigs on Greek altars and to eat the sacrificed flesh. What an abomination for these poor people. So we're going to continue to talk about this historical part. And um, we're going to start with the part about Mattathias. And I do want to say that, um, you know, the Greeks, um, these, well, not the Greeks, but the Hellenized Jews, you know, they couldn't understand. The ones who were Hellenized that, that wanted the Greek culture, they couldn't understand why the faithful worshipers, why they were willing to undergo horrible death. And torture when, you know, they could have acquiesced to a new culture and a religion and, hey, they would have gotten wonderful rewards. Um, So it just makes you understand that, you know, some things just don't change. You know, it's, you know, you think about today and uh, it just rings true. Now, a resistant begins to arise from the Jewish people. And at this time, the same time, there was a priest named Mattathias, a well-respected citizen of Jerusalem with five sons. When the Greek officers came to his hometown of Modian, a village about 17 miles northwest of Jerusalem, they wanted Mattathias to set a good example for the townspeople. The officer commanded him, to slaughter a pig on the altar before the town. He refused, but immediately a fellow Jew stepped forward and obediently slaughtered the pig. Zealous anger rose up in Mattathias, who ran forward, killed the officer with his own sword, and then killed the traitorous Jew. He tore down the pagan altar, and then he and his sons fled to the Judean desert, taking none of their possessions with them. Many others followed them and fled the persecution with their wives and children. And they dwelt in caves um, and dens like hunted animals. 
This was a terrible time of hardship and hiding. And it's also mentioned in the 11th chapter of Hebrews where it says, They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And that's found in Hebrews 11, verse 37b through 38. On one occasion, the soldiers tracked the fugitives to a cave where a thousand of them were hiding. It was the Sabbath day, and the Jews chose not to fight on that day. The soldiers lit a fire in the cave, and the unresisting Jews all perished in the smoke and flames. From this terrible incident, Mattathias persuaded them that it was better to fight for their lives on the Sabbath than to let the soldiers always choose the easiest way to kill them all, when they would never resist. From then on, his ragtag army was willing to fight and to die even on the Sabbath, rather than to be slaughtered like helpless sheep. About a year later, Mattathias died of illness, and his son Judah continued to lead the resistance against the Syrian army. So you see here, now we've got a group of people who are going, these are Jews, these are godly Jews who are going to resist Antiochus, okay? And the father, Mattathias, has died, and his son Judah is going to continue to lead this resistance against King Antiochus of Syria and the Syrian army. His nickname was Maccabee, which means hammer. And that's why these folks ended up being called the Maccabeans, the Maccabees. Now, despite being greatly outnumbered, Judah and his men, listen to this, largely through prayer and fasting, managed to gain many astonishing victories over larger and larger forces of foreign soldiers. Now their group, their little ragtag group didn't get larger and larger, but the Syrian forces got larger and larger, but they beat them, they whooped them through prayer and fasting. Much is written about these battles and strategies in the comprehensive writings of the historian Josephus, and also in the respected histories in the first book of Maccabees. However, um, we're just going to summarize some of these points as we move into the Feast of Hanukkah. Now, Judah Maccabee was an incredibly brave and inspiring leader to his tiny army of exhausted and hungry soldiers who lived as fugitives in poverty for several years. As the Syrian forces would regroup each time with an even larger army against the Jews, Judah would stir up their hearts with courage to die for the Lord's covenants. As William Wallace, Braveheart, was to Scotland, so Judah Maccabee was to trample Israel. Due to this uncommon determination, victory after unlikely victory was granted by the Lord to these godly men. After a particularly large defeat of Antiochus' soldiers, Judah gathered the multitude to go up to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to the one true God. So this is it. They defeated Antiochus and his army, and now that was the last defeat there. They go to Jerusalem. They're going to offer sacrifices. But remember, Jerusalem has been 
destroyed. Now, when they arrived, they saw the degree of desecration, of course, in the temple and the destruction, and they tore their clothes and mourned aloud at the condition of God's house. Then they began to purge the temple, bringing in new vessels, tearing down the pagan altar and bringing in new and uncut stones for the altar as the law of Moses required. They replaced the altar of incense, the tables, and the candlesticks. And after much work, they completed the repairs on the 25th day of Kislev, exactly three years to the day after the abomination that wrought desolation upon Jerusalem had been erected. When all things were set right, the grateful and joyful worshipers celebrated the dedication of the temple unto the Lord. In Hebrew, the word for dedication is Hanukkah. They lit the lamps with sacred oil and offered sacrifices to God, singing songs with harps, flutes, and cymbals, and worshiping the Lord for granting them victory over their enemies. So we can see that... Um, here they are. They've gotten everything put back in order. They've got the temple restored, and now they're going to dedicate the temple unto the Lord. And that's why this is called the Feast of Dedication, dedicating the temple of the Lord back to God. They also considered this victory to be so miraculous that they encouraged Jews everywhere to continue to celebrate this day as a lasting memorial to God's faithfulness, for he recovered what the enemy had stolen and trampled. Friends, we serve a redeeming God, and surely this holy place, his holy place, was redeemed at great cost in Jewish blood on that unique and excellent day. Seventy-five years earlier think about this 75 years excuse me excuse me 75 days not years 75 days earlier they had missed the feast of tabernacles for the third year in the row due to the relentless persecutions and hiding so for three years they didn't get to celebrate feast of tabernacles their joy was so great at being able to worship the Lord again that they celebrated for eight days, which is what the Feast of Tabernacles is, waving branches and singing psalms, recapturing the joy of the eight-day feast that had been, denied, had been denied them for so long. The Maccabees recorded their eight-day celebration in this passage in which Tabernacles is translated as the Camping Out Festival. Sounds like a lot of fun to me. As they celebrated it for eight days with gladness, like the Camping Out Festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, and recalled how a little while before, during the Camping Out Festival, they had been wandering in the mountains and caverns like wild animals. So carrying wands wreathed with leaves and beautiful branches and palm leaves, they offered hymns of praise to him who had brought to pass the purification of his holy temple. 
and they passed a public ordinance and decree that the whole Jewish nation should observe these days every year. And of course, as we know, they still do. There is also a rabbinic tradition concerning the lighting of the lamp on the 25th of Kislev that falls approximately in December on the Roman calendar, which is the Julian calendar. That's the calendar we fall, uh, follow. According to tradition, the Jews found only one small flask of consecrated olive oil among the ruins of the temple, only enough to burn for one day. However, when they lit the golden menorah, the oil miraculously burned for eight days. It is for this reason that we light eight candles for the eight nights of Hanukkah. Since the multiplication of the oil is neither recorded in Josephus's writings nor in the books of the Maccabees, it is hard to be certain of this account. Those who were accomplishing the repairs were working vigorously to bring in new sacred articles, furniture, and stones for many days. So it, I mean, this was truly a labor of love, and this was a lot of work trying to restore the temple. Therefore, there is no reason that they could not have brought in a sufficient amount of consecrated oil to burn continually, as the law prescribed. Even so, since our God is a God of multiplication, it is very possible that he multiplied the oil until fresh oil could be consecrated and burned. And remember, if you read in, I believe it is in uh, the book of, oh gosh, I think it's in the book of Deuteronomy, but don't hold me to that, where they explain how to make uh, the oil of anointing. And it's uh, quite a laborious process. So regardless, we know that God is a God, God of multiplication. He multiplied those fishes and loaves uh, when uh, Jesus was with his disciples and the 5,000 people were fed and there were 12 baskets left over, as you remember. However, the historical accounts do all agree that they celebrated this event for eight days as they would have for the Feast of Tabernacles. Therefore, we joyfully light our Hanukkah candles for eight days and sing inspiring songs of God's deliverance of those who fear him and do not consider the threats of wicked men. Now, just going to share a little bit about the death of Judah Maccabee. Now, remember, too, that that's not his last name. His last name is not Maccabee. And the only reason that they're using that reference is because that became a nickname for him. And then it just became like the name that was associated with his followers. So that's why they're called the Maccabeans. And um, they're calling him Judah Maccabee. But that really is not a last name. It was a nickname. After the miraculous Israeli victory and the rededication of the temple, other foreign armies 
were stirred up to attack the Jews and Jerusalem in addition to repeated attempts by Syrian forces. Judah Maccabees' battles with these hostile people groups continued for many years. Are we surprised? People have been attacking the Jews and harassing the Jews. Here we are 2,000 years later, and it's still going on. Among them, among the hostile groups, were the Ammonites and the Endemians. These are Esau's descendants who became the ancestry of Herod, who was an Endemian. He was half Jewish and um, um, half Gentile and his dynasty. It is hard to exaggerate the courage and perseverance of this priestly warrior, Judah, son of Mattathias, who was forced to lead his people through fierce battles for almost 10 years. When this remarkable hero finally fell in battle with a Syrian general, even his death was a feat of great courage and nobility, such as has rarely been seen in the pages of history. So this man with such character uh, who had given the victory of the Jews over this uh, over the Syrians was was killed in a battle and this history just to remind you all this took place during the 400 years between the Old and the New Testament so that's probably why it's not widely known by most Christians now modern and ancient biblical historians including Flavius Josephus often cite the detailed histories recorded in the books of the Maccabees which are found in the Apocrypha. Now, the books of the Apocrypha were included in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, most often used by New Testament writers. They were also included in the authorized King James Version of the Bible until 1827, when the Protestant British and American Bible Societies removed the Apocrypha from the books of Scripture. Even so, scholars agree that Maccabees is a reliable historical record. Without these documents, we would not have the story of Hanukkah, and we would lose a significant source of intertestamental history, right? We would not know a lot about this because of there was nothing going on in those 400 dark ages. Josephus was a first century Jewish diplomat, general, and a historian, and he is considered the most cited writer in the world of biblical scholars. Without his comprehensive writings, the biblical reference books in seminary libraries and universities, as well as our own Bibles, text notes, and commentaries, would be much reduced in quality and quantity. Throughout Antiochus's infamous reign there were at least three times when he set out to destroy the jewish people and jerusalem in particular he saw the results of two of these invasions in the previous what i shared previously the third attempt brought the wrath of god upon him and he died in great agony 
as he had tormented so many victims during his life. During the wars of Judah Maccabee, King Antiochus was traveling through Persia and learned of a wealthy city where the Temple of Diana contained great valuables to be plundered. He attacked, but was driven back as far as Babylon by the fierce pursuit of the city's defenders, losing many of his troops. Of course, he was angry and humiliated. At the same time, Antiochus was told of yet another battle that Judah Maccabees' forces had won in Judea, and he was enraged. Once more, he vowed to punish the Jews with great slaughter. But as he was charging back to Jerusalem, now, let me just make sure you understand, the temple has already been rededicated. Everything is back in order in Jerusalem. And this crazy Syrian king, this very vicious, vile human, decides he's going to go back to Jerusalem again and slaughter the Jews again. Now, for the second time, but as he was charging back to Jerusalem, he was suddenly struck with worms in his intestines, which caused a lengthy and exceedingly painful deterioration of his health. Now, if you remember, about 150 years later, and you can read this in Acts 12, verses 21 through 23, King Herod was also struck down with intestinal worms after a proud and blasphemous stance toward the Lord. As his suffering grew more intense, Antiochus began to belatedly humble himself and acknowledge that God was punishing him for his affliction of the Jews. He hastily converted to Judaism and wrote an amicable letter to the Jews in Jerusalem, as if they were the oldest of friends. Obviously, he was desperate for healing, but it was too late for the arrogant butcher who had devised unspeakable tortures for the faithful Jews. Finally, his body was destroyed by such a foul and hideous disease that even his own soldiers could not get near him. Thus did God put an end to the lawless one who dared to defile God's holy place with idolatry and innocent blood. Now we see in the Gospel of John 10.22 that Yeshua, Jesus, was in Jerusalem. He was there for the Feast of Hanukkah. And in the scriptures, it says the Feast of Dedication. So he was there for the celebration of Hanukkah, Jesus himself. Although we see many references to Jewish feasts throughout the New Testament, this passage is the only one where the Feast of Hanukkah is specified. The victories by Judah and his Maccabean followers had occurred only 150 years before Yeshua's birth. One of the things on the minds of the religious leaders at this season, at this time of the Feast of Dedication, 
would be the miracles that God did for the faithful Jews who stood firm in the face of terrible persecution. It's interesting on that on this occasion, the Lord spoke of his miracles, stating that the miracles he did in his father's name validated his claim to be one with the father. And you can read that in John, the gospel of John chapter 10, 25, 30, 38. Another issue that was on their minds was martyrdom and the resurrection of the dead. Their recent ancestors in this very city had submitted to painful deaths while trusting that eternal life awaited those who remained faithful. At this feast, the Lord declared to them that he gives eternal life to those who listen to his voice and that no one can pluck them out of his hand. In saying this, the Lord was likely recalling his ancestors' determination to endure the destruction of their bodies while bravely declaring their resurrection to their tormentors, as I read to you about the son uh, of one of the, the godly priests who, who made that declaration. Soon the Lord would endure martyrdom for the joy set before him, a martyrdom more costly and terrible than that of his earthly fathers. Finally, the Jewish leadership was aware of the corruption of the priesthood that had occurred during and after that period, as well as the political and religious prostitution of their leaders with Greek rulers. Now, the Jewish nation was under Roman rule, and it would be tempting to cut deals with the Roman authorities to obtain favorable positions or to avoid persecution. Herod was a Roman client, a ruler who had no integrity or a living faith in God. The Sadducees were of the priestly lineage and controlled temple politics. Some were motivated by a desire for power than for faith, for power than for repentance and humility. Hanukkah may have been something of an embarrassment to the Sadducees, in particular, even to the Pharisees who worked with them. Both these groups were already plotting to kill Yeshua Jesus, although he had committed no sin. Hanukkah may have reminded them of the shameful behavior of their priestly fathers who sold out their brothers and sisters to martyrdom. And so that brings us to today. And today, Hanukkah somewhat parallels the holiday of Christmas. Both those holidays occur in December. And as is the Jewish custom, they celebrate for eight days, and each night they light uh, one of the candles um, in their homes, and they have, you know, a, a celebration. They sing hymns and psalms, and they play games, and uh, just enjoy the Lord. And they thank the Lord for what he did for them. And literally gave them that victory over this boastful, blasphemous tyrant that rose out of the Greek empire, Antiochus IV, who called himself Antiochus Epiphanes. In Daniel 8, 9 through 14, he is called a little horn. And a horn in the Bible signifies power, authority, and strength. His small horn grew out of the larger horn of Alexander the Great, which was divided into four parts. So 
what is so important about this dedication is that we are now the temple. The temple of God now resides in us. And so this may be a day where you want to rededicate your temple to Christ. And it's also called the Festival of Lights because if you know Jesus, the light of Christ now lives in you. Jesus was called the light of the world, but now he says that he lives in us and we now are the light of the world, carrying his light to the darkness. So this is an important uh, time. This is an important feast. And I think as believers, it would behoove us to really appreciate and celebrate this special season called Hanukkah, a time when we can rededicate our temple, our body, to God, back to God. Maybe you have backslidden and you need to rededicate yourself back to God. And if so, I would really encourage you to do that. Um, so I hope that you enjoyed this, uh, understanding and the meaning of Hanukkah, very, very special time that we're going to be celebrating soon. I believe if I'm correct, it's December 2nd through December the 10th. So this is Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries. Um, you can go on www.pureheart.today to listen to this podcast again. You can listen to me again at 11 p.m. on WWVA 1170 a.m. tonight. And uh, with that, I say uh, shalom, shalom, peace be unto you. I look forward to being with you again next week.